And welcome to the David and Ronald Show podcast. Happy New Year 2020. Yes, Happy New Year. The new decade is here. By the time you listen to this, the new year has already started. We're actually recording this like a couple of weeks into 2020. So the new year has already begun. But what the heck? This is our first episode of 2020. We are back with brand new episodes for 2020. So where did the holidays go? They came in and passed so quickly this year. I don't think it's just this year. I think every time once the holidays have passed, you always think the same exact thing. But we'll see where the new year takes us. But I can't believe we're already halfway through January. Yes. Um, yeah. So I feel like it's going to be one of those years that sort of just fly by. But you can only make the most of it. And what's funny about um, at work, we were saying when you're jumping on meetings, at what point do you stop saying Happy New Year? Right. And that's always an interesting question because... I guess you can stop saying Happy New Year if no one else says it to you. Right. But if someone says it to you, then like out of respect, I guess you have to say Happy New Year back to them. Right. Yep. I, I kind of stop after the first full week of like, there's no reason to say it anymore. I right. Think it, it's kind of dead at that point. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to overdo it. Like right now, I guess you wouldn't still be saying Happy New Year to people. I guess, well, if you haven't seen them in a while, you'd probably still say Happy New Year. Yeah, so. I agree with that. So one thing that I didn't do at the end of last year is I didn't, which I've done for the, for the last few years, is to do a Christmas tree tour. And that's to like to visit Rockefeller Center and to see the Christmas tree, go to Bryant Park after they have the tree up, uh, and then go to the Seaport District to see the tree. So I didn't do that this year. I didn't, uh, or last year in 2019. And it just didn't have time because I was traveling in, in December. But I saw a lot of trees because when I was out in Orlando, down in Disney Springs, which used to be downtown Disney, they have a, I, they call it like a tree farm area. And it's all these decorated trees with that are themed. So it's like Beauty and Beast and Haunted Mansion and all that stuff. So it's like different themes. They had a Star Wars one as well. So, I mean, I saw plenty of decorated Christmas trees that are based on different themes. So that was fine. I did want to, when I got back to the city, want to do or want to go up to see the tree and then just didn't have time to do it. So it was like the first year and probably the last 10 years or so that, that I haven't done that trip. Yeah, I just had quick glimpses, morely accidental, just to get to where I need to go to. But while I was in the area, I just took, you know, a brief m- moment just to take a look at the tree. So I saw the one in Rockefeller Center, right. saw the one in Bryant Park, pretty much it, but um, just... Working in Midtown, you you do see all the decorations all over the mm-hmm. place. So I think some of those were still up as of last week, too, where yeah. it's just lit at night, which is nice. That's one thing about it getting darker earlier, because when you're leaving work, you do see everything nicely lit up, and you might sometimes feel still part of the holidays. Right. You, you can definitely still see some of that you know, during the, during this time of year, which, which is good. Uh, you you want to kind of still have that festive mood, even though... The holidays have gone by and we're starting the new year off. So that's the difference. I mean, today, for example, we're supposed to get snow sometime around like one o'clock. So it will be the, I guess, the first major snowfall. We've had some light snow. We had a snow squall a few weeks ago. But other than that, we really haven't had much snow this winter. So this will, I guess, be the first real snowstorm in the city yep. that we'll experience. But, but what's funny is, you know, last week was probably the warmest week of the winter. And right. now this is the coldest week 
of the yeah. winter. So last it's last weekend we were in we were in the area of sixty degrees, sixty plus degrees. So Beautiful. it was kind of very very spring like with the sun out. And then right after I think Sunday into Monday of the, of this past week, that's when the temperatures started to drop, and we were more in like the forties or so, forties maybe the low fifties. And now this morning we're in the twenties with a wind chill of like teens. So it's cold. And coming here today to record the podcast, yeah, you, you walk out of the, the train station and you feel that cold. And you know it's not the regular winter cold. It's the cold when there's a snowfall coming, that type of cold. And when you look outside, you have the cloudy skies. You have the highlight of the sun out there, but you know there's a storm coming and it's going to be a snowstorm. Definitely. When I first woke up, I did see a little bit of the sun, um, the horizon yeah. lit up. Then probably 30 minutes later, that all went away. The clouds kicked in and everything went away. So initially I thought, oh, maybe it's not going to snow that early. Right. Then I was wrong just 30 minutes later. I was like, okay, it's it's coming. Yeah, it's definitely coming. I think, like I said, it's the forecasters are saying about 1 o'clock Eastern time today is when we should start seeing the the initial snowfall. And then I think up until about 7 o'clock, we'll have snow one to three inches of snow, and then it changes over to rain later in the day because the temperature goes up after sunset. So it'll definitely be interesting. So I was riding in on the subway this morning, and this is the first time in the last three trips here where I've come on a weekend to record the podcast. So obviously in New York City, if you've ridden the subways over the weekends, there's always a lot of construction going on here. So there's construction going on. Trains that normally run express are running local, uh, there must have been like one of those diesel trains going by. And so you could smell that, that diesel. It was like really bad. Yeah. The, the funny thing is that, you know, they do all this construction on the weekend and then come Monday, they end up having some issue that related to that section they were doing right. the work on. Like you get signal problems like, oh, weren't you just doing signal modernization, whatever it was. So always ends up being a pain coming in on Monday, uh, trying to get to work. And all you're doing is sitting there waiting for the train to start moving again. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, there, there was one thing that I was talking to you about the other day. I think it was last week or so, talking about the, the AirPods Pro. Right. Uh, so I've had that for a few months now. And initially I was like, hey, these are great. It's a great upgrade for my AirPods. And then as I start using it more and more, I get a little more annoyed with it because I think it's the sizing. The form factor is great that it's much smaller now, but... Just try to hold it or pull it out of the case. I end up fiddling around with it, end up dropping it. So I've dropped it multiple times already, or sometimes I'm about to put it in my ear, and then it just like drops into my palm or something like that. So I think that's one of the things that are a bit annoying. I think they need to sort of change up that form factor a bit, just so that it's more handy, and you can actually not drop it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have that problem now with dropping my first and one and a half generation yep. AirPods. I have that same problem. Oh, okay. It might get worse then. I had an issue initially where I was using the, you know, the buds that came with it. Then for one year, all of a sudden, I had to change it to the smaller one. So right now I have one medium, one smaller one, which is kind of weird. Um, so either my ear swelled up and went back to normal or so- something else happened. And there's a lot of times where I end up feeling like I go back to my AirPod uh, versus the AirPods Pro, but it really depends on the day. Sometimes I'm just doing something quick, so I'll grab it. The other bit to it is on the original AirPods, you can just double tap the, um, the stem. 
The new one, it's like you have to click it. There's no actual button there, but it's it's a fake click, right? Um, like a haptic click, which is a little bit annoying because when I was initially doing it, I would d- skip a song twice or it goes backwards or whatever it is. So a lot of times I like to go back to my original AirPods just because it, it was much simpler. So I, I feel that when they go to the next version, they need to bring that feature back. Mm-hmm. I know the stem's smaller, but maybe there's some way, maybe curl it or something so that it can still have what, what they had in the original ones. Yeah, I, I've had that problem with the AirPods in general. I think I told you this when I first got the AirPods. I, I'm sort of used to when you have uh, regular uh, AirPods. Yep. They just kind of pull it out of your ears and you like throw it th- down. And normally you have the cable to grab onto it. Oh. So what I would do when I had the AirPods is I was so used to doing that that all of a sudden I'd take it out of my ears and I'd throw it down. And I realized, oh, it just flew like off the table <laughs> or, or flew on the floor or something like that. And it's like, oops, didn't mean to do that. So yeah, that, that's a problem. I still have problems with it going in my ear, definitely with the first generation, if you like move slightly. And I don't know if this is like a firmware update or something that's happened in, in iOS. It just cuts out. So it's like, it's overly sensitive now. Yeah, I know with the AirPods Pro, there was a, they, they do release firmware updates. And the latest one they did, there was an article that I read where they said, there are some issues um, that they noticed there. I mean, there's no update yet for it to fix that. Right. Um, I think the isolation isn't as great because people have complained that they don't feel that isolation's that good when they're turning it on. Yeah. Uh, but there was a whole article that, that I saw, several of them, you know, on Mac Rumors or CNET. You see all those articles there. Right. Um, and I wonder because when I've been using the, the hear through, I've had some weird issues with that, so I wonder if that's also impact that update also impacted that too because I don't remember having those issues initially when I when I had them. And that's the other thing about the way the firmware update works is that it's kind of automatic; you can't control it. Yeah. So when you like have your AirPods near your your phone, what will happen is it will all of a sudden just do the update. If there right. Is exactly. Update. It's not like the the iPhone or the Apple Watch where you don't have to necessarily update it; you have to invoke it. Right. Right. But yeah, on the AirPods Pro, there's no way. And also, you don't you don't know when it's going to update. They just say, hey, you just have to check the, the firmware version on your phone right. to see if it updated or not. And you know, when I checked it, it, it was already updated. Hopefully, that's something they can improve with the next generations. Yeah, I mean, with the, you know, the AirPods Pro was kind of like one of those things that came out. And I don't know that it was necessarily stunning to consumers, but it was just something, I guess, not very much expected until uh, Apple filed, like, the necessary patents and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, even on the trains, I don't see that many people have the pros. You still no. see people either have the wired ones um, or just the, the first-gen ones. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm still waiting, you know, on the Microsoft end for people to have the, the Surface, you know, buds. I haven't seen anyone wearing any of those yet. I've not seen so, either. So that, that will be interesting to, to see. So just a couple of caveats. Um, before we started this podcast, we were tweaking some of the settings on the equipment. So hopefully this podcast sounds fine. I already hear like an echo. Yeah. And I tweak some of the volume control settings because we've been having some issues with getting the volume to the right level. So what I think we've gotten fixed is the fact that it's louder. But I think the other part of it is that I hear an echo in the headphones. So now I'm worried about by the time we finish recording this and I'm editing this, that it's going to sound really weird. So if it does sound really weird... We apologize. We'll get it fixed for the the next episode. If it sounds perfectly fine, we're very happy about that. That's number one. Number two, uh, you may have heard me disappear for a little bit and hear some coughing. So I have like one of those tickles in the back of your throats. 
And I don't have like a full cold or any, anything like that, but I've had like this tickle. So have you ever been in the situation where like you're on the train or something and you get that weird tickle in the back of your throat and you have nothing to drink, nothing to, to, to chew on, whatever. So I had that. So, you know, coming here today to record the podcast, I knew it was like, this is going to be my nightmares. Like in the middle of recording, all of a sudden my, my throat is going to get that tickle. It's going to get dry. I'm going to start coughing and I don't want to stop the podcast because we have to start again. So I just pretty much moved aside, got myself a lozenge and have been, you know, moving that lozenge around to get liquid for a little bit as Ronald's been talking so that I can come back onto the microphone. So if you hear that happen, I'm telling you up front right now, that's what's happening behind the scenes. You know, when we're recording this, we're not stopping it to say, and we're not going to go back and edit it and say, okay, we cut this entire segment because it just doesn't make sense to do that. But that's what's happening. I'm not disappearing. I'm not doing something else outside of taking care of this little health issue. Yeah, no, that's actually how happened to me on the train. That's why when I go to work now, since I have my bag anyway, I always carry yeah. a water bottle just in case that happens. Though on the weekends, I don't do that because I don't carry a book bag with me. So right. sometimes that happens, but I think it's always good to keep in mind. Just try to keep like something, either candy or gum or something yeah. um, that could at least moisten your... Yeah, I had, a, you know, I had coffee. We have coffee here, and I had finished my last sip of coffee right before... <laughs> You know, as I, as I had that first, you know, tickle in my throat. So I fit, finished that up. Didn't help. So I had to go and, and just pop away and, and grab myself a lozenge to, to solve the problem. You know, I, I did brew a good half a batch of coffee there. So you could have... Yeah. Well, see, now beforehand. now what would hap- have to happen is that I have to get to a segment where you're going to be talking and I want to go get coffee and refill my coffee, but I'm not going to know what you said. <laughs> so when I come back, it's going to be like, uh, I don't know what you were talking about. So can you repeat that? And then it's not going to make any sense to anyone listening to the podcast. I guess next time we'll just keep a bottle of water on the side for you, too. So you have a coffee and a bottle of water. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it normally doesn't happen. It hasn't happened in our other episodes. And it's just, you know, this is that time of year, unfortunately, because we've had the warm weather and we've had the cold weather that you start to catch little things. And fortunately, this is not like a full-blown cold or anything like that. It's just like a, a tickle in the back of the throat. But... You know, it's also a very big annoyance to have. I've had it, like, when you're riding on the subway for, like, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden it's like a crowded subway, it's hot, and you get that tickle, and you have, like, no laws, and you have nothing to drink, and it's like, okay, this is the worst situation ever. And you're like, do I just cough in front of someone because I can't even move my head? Yeah. So there's, like, no way to, uh, to get around that. Okay, so let's get back on track to the podcast since we've, I think, talked enough about that. So... Getting back into like um, New Year's and, and New Year's Eve, uh, did you do anything special for New Year's Eve leading up to like New Year's Day? No, nothing too special. I had some friends over just to you know have a little gathering. We, we just made some food, you know, watched the ball drop, and you know that's pretty much it. It was very mellow New Year's Eve into New Year's. Um, so. Nothing too cool with me. What about you? Yeah, it's it's about the same. I mean, this last year I didn't stay up until um, until midnight. I, I just like got to the point where oh, you know I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. You know, when wake when I wake up in the morning, it'll be you know this was 2018 going to 2019. It's like, okay, it's a new year. It's you know it's it's a date. It's a number. Yeah. But it's like okay, whatever. Yeah. And so this year I said okay, I'll, I'll stay up. You know, I'll I'll go through it and and watch the ball drop and then yeah. I'll go to sleep. I I think the other thing is that. Uh, the ball drop, while it's great, yeah, Times Square, everything like that. But when you you watch TV and they show you the celebrations all around the world, yeah, 
it's kind of underwhelming when you just see, okay, well, this is the most famous ball drop. Okay, great. You have the ball drop. You get confetti out the windows. They have a little bit of, I think, fireworks that come out. Yeah. Come out. yeah. But then you see everywhere else, like on a bridge or something, mm-hmm. they have fireworks coming out of there. I think in Paris, it comes out of uh, the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get all this stuff. But in New York, it's supposed to be the most famous thing, yes. And it does ring in the New Year, sort of, quote-unquote, for the world. Yeah. But I do find it just a bit underwhelming now. It is. Uh, that's actually one of the things that, one of the topics that I wanted to bring up was the fact that in New York City, we had the ball drop, in it, and it's, you know, a very big event for New Year's Eve leading into New Year's Day and, and midnight. But then when you watch some of the celebrations like Australia, London, Dubai, all those other places that they seem a lot more extravagant. And, I mean, I guess there there are different philosophies as to how extravagant you want that to be. I mean, you could just as well have your own private New Year's Eve party, and that could, you know, with a TV on showing, like, all the, the New Year's Eve to midnight events and just have that airing and have people watching and, like, a watch party and celebrate for yourself. So I guess it's a matter of perspective as to what you want your New Year's Eve into New Year's Day to be like. But yeah, when you look at the other events that other cities hold, ours kind of looks a little bit less as extravagant. But, it, you know, we can't take away from the fact that that is something that is very traditional for a lot of people right. to yep. experience. I mean, I've never gone out to Times Square on New Year's Eve to wait for the ball drop. I don't plan to, mainly... You know, for a number of reasons. One, a lot of years it's very cold outside. You're going to be waiting in a very crowded area where you have access to no food, no bathroom. You know, security is much tighter, and they, it has to be because of all the security concerns around the world. So you have to deal with all that. And then getting home afterwards is going to be very difficult because you're jam-packed in there. So if you want a good spot, you're waiting there 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon or maybe even earlier. And from that point on, you're just stuck there. And so now you have to wait until all the crowds disperse, get out of the area. Some of the, the probably the train stations, the entrances right in the area are probably closed for security. So it's very hard to get where you're going. It's like going to like a Yankee game or a Mets game or a Rangers game or an Islanders game. And you're leaving like any of the, the major arenas. Times 100. Right. <laughs> and you're tr- first you have to get out of the facility. And after you get out of the facility, then you have to get into the subway station. Yep. And if you've gone to like, you know, Yankee Stadium into the BRD train station or, or the, the number train stations, it's jam-packed. Yep. You, can't, you can't navigate once the crowds get in there. So it's very hard. Madison Square Garden, if you're exiting the arena, just getting out of the arena takes a while. You know, you, you can easily spend 20, 30 minutes making your way out of the arena depending on where you are, and then get to the subway. So it's really crowded. It's very hard to get through. So now imagine Times Square, open area, and on a year where it's really, really cold, you know, with wind chills, it could be in the teens or even below zero, and now you have to disperse at the end, and it's just super crowded. So it's just not something that I would want to do. I'll watch it on TV, but I don't have any plans to go stand there. Yep, same here. Um, I think it's it's great to watch it on TV, whether it's in a bar or you want to just do it at home or at a party. Yeah. I think it's just as great. And you have the freedom to move around, use the bathroom, get a drink, get food to eat. Yep. But hey, it's an experience for a lot of people, right? I mean, right. A lot of people come in just for that. And I, I, get, I get that, but yeah. I don't think it's ever something I can do. Yeah, I, I, it depends on each person. I mean, a lot of people, probably uh, tourists come into town to do it. People who live in the city have never done it. 
and want to do it, they probably may go do it. And then there are those who just don't want to do it because of all the other you know, reasons that we mentioned earlier. But I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do anything special. I didn't go to like any parties or anything like that. I just you know, stayed home, uh, took it as an R&R day and then just you know, wait for the ball drop and then start all over again. Then you get a day and back to work. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're back into that cycle. But also, you know, with the new year comes also the tax season because the tax preparation season is coming up. That was one of the other things that I wanted to touch on today on this podcast is the fact of just kind of preparing for that tax season because I know a lot of people dread the tax season and it's not necessarily the dreading part of, oh, am I getting a refund or do I owe taxes? That's like one part of it because there, you know, obviously if you're getting a refund, you're excited because you're going to get some money back. If you have to pay taxes, then you're not so happy. But the other thing that can drive you crazy is just preparing because if you work with like a CPA or a tax preparer, you go to like H&R Block or your local tax preparation uh, office that does it for you, they get very busy. So when you go there, you have to go there early and you have to be prepared. You have to bring all your documents. So one of the things you, you want to do now is to start gathering those documents up so that when it comes time to have your tax returns prepared, whether you do it yourself or you go to somewhere else, that you have those documents and you don't have to figure it out. Now, if you work with a dedicated CPA, a certified public accountant, or a dedicated tax preparer that always does your returns every year, hopefully last year you were in touch with them, at least in the fourth quarter of the year, to make sure that you're on track with where you stand and that you don't owe taxes. If you have to pay estimated quarterly taxes, you paid all that and you've done that. So you're on track. But regardless of what the situation is, so if you're in the situation where you work with a dedicated CPA accountant tax preparer every year, you want to have spoken to them where they should have reached out to you so that you know that you're on track for this year. And they normally tell you, okay, has anything changed since the previous year so that they can see if you can get any additional deductions. And they'll also flag like any tax changes that may affect you. Now, if you don't work with a dedicated tax preparer, you do your own taxes or you just go to like an HR block, there are things that you can do to prepare for yourself as well. And that includes, for example, by January 31st, uh, if you have W-2 wages, your employer should furnish a copy of your W-2, either a hard copy by mail or they'll have it available online digitally for you to download, print, and use for your tax preparation. Now, the thing to understand about that is... Uh, when they say furnish, that means that traditionally when they used to just mail these and you didn't have digital copies, furnish means it has to be postmarked by January 31st. So as long as it's postmarked by January 31st, they've done their, their job to furnish it. So you probably won't get your W-2s until you know the end of the month. You might have it available sooner than that if it's available digitally like a PDF copy. So that's the first document that you want to gather. And, and then there are other documents like if you have non-employee compensation, let's say you do freelance work or you do temporary work where you're not paid through W-2 wages, you should get a 1099 miscellaneous. Now, companies only have to issue the 1099 miscellaneous to you if you were paid $600 or more in non-employee compensation. So if you're paid less than $600 uh, in non-employee compensation, they don't have to issue you a 1099 miscellaneous. That doesn't mean you don't have to pay taxes on it. You still have to pay taxes on it. It just means they don't have to issue that tax document to you. So that's another document you want to have. And, you know, I'm going to just give you a list of some of the ones that I normally keep an eye out for for myself. And hopefully it will at least help you prepare so that if you're gathering your documents, these are the things that, that you're looking for. If you have dividends, so let's say you have any investments in stocks or you invest in anything and you were uh, paid dividends, you'll get something, another 1099 form. It's a 1099 div for dividend. So you get one of those. If you still itemize your state and local taxes and you got a refund, last year, you're probably going to have a Form 1099-G. 
Now, New York, some years ago, they switched over from mailing those to you to you have to go up to like the, the New York Department of Finance website and you have to sign in there and download your own copy. So you can still do that. If you don't, like I used to have, I used to be able to itemize because, you know, you take your state and local taxes and any donations you make and you have additional deductions. Now, since they increase the standard deduction, for many of us, you know, you're just going to take the standard deduction, so you're not going to itemize. So you, in that case, if you don't take that state and local deduction, you're not going to have that 1099G. If you received a distribution from a retirement plan, like a 401k, uh, individual retirement account, an IRA, you might get a form 1099R. So let's say you left the job, job one, and you had a 401k there, and you moved over to a new job where they had a new 401k, and you uh, want to uh, transfer your funds over. Well, that's a distribution from your old employer to your to your new employer's plan. So you will get a 1099-R for that. So those are just some of the documents that, that you might get. Now, if you're like a owner of a company, for example, you own an, a limited liability company that's taxed as a partnership or, or a subchapter S, or you your company's set up as a subchapter S, you have a Schedule K-1. And that's pretty much what you'll need as part of preparing your individual personal tax returns. But you can't get your Schedule K-1 until your business tax returns are prepared. So again, in that case, even for businesses, this is a good best practice. You know, hopefully you spoke to your accountant at the end of last year to figure out, you know, how you're tracking. And that at the beginning of this year, you get your financials over to them. And usually, like, they'll ask you for your balance sheet, your P&L, uh, bank recs, the December 31st bank statements, and other other financial information they need to prepare your tax returns. Get that to them as soon as possible because if they don't have that and they can't prepare your business tax returns, you can't get your Schedule K-1s to have your personal tax returns prepared. So that's all a timing issue. And you don't want to have to go and file extensions. You know, if you have to file an extension because it's necessary, that's one thing. If you don't need to do that, then you don't want to have to go that route. You want to try to get everything done on time. Best advice in general Right now, start gathering these documents. Find out what you need. You know, easy ways. Look at what you had to gather last year to prepare your, your tax returns. And generally, it should be the same documents. If you've had any major changes since last year, you need to talk to your accountant, your tax preparer, to find out what you need. And that's going to help you. And it's going to make your life a lot easier when it comes to tax time because you don't want to have to go through the process of, oh, at the last minute, I need to gather all these documents. Oh, I don't have this receipt. I can't, don't have this. My account needs this in order to do the deductions, and I can't find it. And now I have to get this sent out to the IRS, and they can't file it because I'm missing this and that and whatever. So just you know, take some of the burden off your shoulders by taking these steps to prepare in advance. And if you do that, you're going to be in a lot better shape. And even if you don't have things in place this year, think about this for next year. Because what I do is I build a checklist now every year of the documents that I should have and any changes so that I'm prepared for the tax season. And that's really what I'm trying to convey to you is the same thing. Be prepared because it can take a big burden off your shoulders because it can be a very stressful time when you deal with the tax season. But if you take these steps, if you're proactive, you can eliminate some of those issues. Your thoughts? That's all news to me, David. I, I just use TurboTax, so uh, I'm, I usually have a pretty straightforward... Uh tax 
process. Right. So I don't think I need to get too complex with right. that. So but do you? But do you normally like gather your documents in advance? Do you like keep in your mind at least like what you need to have available? Yeah. For no. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I've been doing this for many years myself mm-hmm. now. So I do gather all those. Um, you know, for work, a lot of them are digital now. They mm-hmm. don't come in fi- as physical paper. Right. So you just have to know to download that. But also something like TurboTax, the software, you're able to pull that down right. um, from a source, but you need all the right information, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to put in some code. And each year I'm thinking, I'm like, where do I find that code right. again? But eventually I figure it out, get that all in, just because it's nicer so you don't have to actually type it in yourself, right. worry about, oh, there's a typo, I made a mistake. When it pulls all that stuff down for you, it's much easier. Same like for bank bank statements, everything like that, it's able to pull a lot of that down. Now, does it pull everything? No. But for the most part, it, it ga- gathers at least, I'd probably say 85% of what I right. need to do, pull it all down, and then I just fill in everything else manually. Right. Obviously, I do some double check just to be sure that there's nothing wrong with it, um, at least nothing that stands out with me. And then I buy the insurance protection okay. just in case they do screw up. Right. <laughs> I'd rather pay that, that money. You know, Usually, I do get money back, so... Right. Paying that amount plus the amount for the software each year is small compared to if something obviously happens, right. I get audited. That could be so much worse um, for me. So right. I do that just so that I can at least be protected. But again, in my case, I have a very simple process. I don't have all these little deductions right. and things like that. I know a lot of people do. Yeah. But for me, I just do the basics. So it's very straightforward whenever I have to do, do mine. Yeah, it's it's important to understand that also even when you're using like TurboTax or H and Block H and R Block software, any any tax preparation software yourself, that you one read the instructions and two that the information you're putting in there, whether you you pull it down from a source or you manually key it in, that it's accurate and correct. So you have to check and double check everything you put in there, because it's only as good as the information you input. And if you're inputting the wrong information, you're going to get the wrong result. You might get you might owe too much in taxes or you might get too big a refund. And guess what? You're going to get penalized either way. Right. So you, exactly. don't want to, you don't want that to happen. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I used to do, it was that I did sort of the paper manual version first. Right. And then I sell TurboTax just to make right. sure. You know, sort of double check your work, right? Kind of like what you do in math class, right? right? There's a way to double check your work. You should do that. Right. But I think in the past three years, just because I've seen it to be consistent and it's fine using TurboTax, I just I haven't done so much of that manual bit, right. but I'll I'll double check before I submit it just to be sure. Again, nothing stands out. There's not a number that got skewed or anything like that. So I do have a little experience of doing it manually, and I know right. what to look for. Yeah, I mean that's when you know I used to do it manually as well, and then you know I switched over to TurboTax. But I think the first first year or two I kind of did it manually, and then went to TurboTax to kind of check the work. And, you know, the good thing when you use, you know, tax preparation software is that it will find those deductions or it will find, like, any mistakes that you make by hand, and it will show you that. So there are sometimes certain deductions that you could take that you didn't realize that the software will will take you through, but that manually when you're going through all this paperwork and you're you're reading through it, and if you're not a CPA, you're not going to understand this stuff. And so you you end up hurting yourself because you're not getting, you know, the maximum refund that you can get or you're not reducing the amount you owe to the minimum amount that you really need, need to owe, and you end up paying too much. So it's, it's always good to kind of use the tax software, assuming that the tax software is correct and there are no bugs with the, with the software. 
Right, exactly. You never know, right? Yeah, there, there's no there's no guarantee. Some you know because again, the software is only as good as the developers and the programmers who coded everything. So if there's a bug in the software, it's you're not going to know. You know if there's an error unless you're you know doing everything manually as well and, and you're computing that. Which is why you pay for that insurance. Yeah, it, it, because they do take full accountability. Yeah, they, they if take responsibility there, for it. So. That, well, at least they ho- you hope that they take responsibility right, exactly. for it. But, you know, one last bit about that one is that you also want to keep in mind any life changes, right? It, right, exactly. It, over the year. Like, for me, when I had first bought a place, right. you know, I was like, oh, got to look at the, the mortgage, this and that. And I had asked my friends, like, hey, you bought a home recently, too, right. a few years ago. What did, What else did you have to do? And right. then they'll, they'll tell you yeah, all the extra little things that you have to do. Yeah. To, to capitalize on that. I remember the first year I did it, you know, they pretty much said, hey, if you, if you put in all the right paperwork together, right. the closing cost, you'll probably get half of that back, right. which is nice, you know. So a, every little bit makes a difference. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that's actually one of the topics, um, not for this podcast, but I think for a future podcast is that I think we, we should dedicate an episode to talking about kind of the experience that you went through in terms of like getting your own home. Because a lot of people think about doing it and when you jump into it it's a it's can be a nightmare and it can be a very scary process of getting your own place and figuring out what to do because it's one is you know even the most experienced person who's done it multiple times you still need to have a real estate attorney you know look over all the documents to make sure that everything's in the right place that it's not missing anything that someone's not trying to pull the wool over your eyes well the thing is that no two experiences will be alike right that's the thing there'll always be something unique to it yeah and the problem is that there's no template there's no document that says hey this is the top down there's no checklist that says these are the 30 things you have to do right someone can give you a high level and say you know you'll run into these right but they can never say if you run into all of them right. or if there might be something else. Some things happen like that. I mentioned exactly. my friend's experience, and I had a whole bunch of extra steps. He's like, wait, why do you have to do all this stuff? I'm like, well, it's slightly different. Right. It's, it's different. It depends on, on the process, the people that are involved in that, in that process. Right. I mean, there are general – I'm sure there are general rules that have Absolutely, to be adhered to. Right. And then there are always these other things that you, you don't think about. Like when you're looking at a place, you're looking at the aesthetics to make sure that it fits what you're looking for. But then did you ever look at, oh, did you turn on the water to the sink to make sure that the drain actually worked? Did you check the plumbing? Did you, you know, check the floors to make sure there's not, you know, uh, you know an issue and things like that? So there's a whole lot of things that you have to, to look at. Uh, there's a whole checklist that you have to go through. And there are people involved that you have to get, you know, like an attorney. And if you use like a, like a, uh, a real estate agent to help you find places, you have to find a real estate agent that is there to work on behalf of the owner. Or if you're getting a an apartment that you rent that is working in for the benefit of the tenant and not for the landlord, and you don't want to use someone who is a you know working both sides, tenant and landlord, who's doing the same job because there's no way that they're going to work solely in one one person's interest. It's really going to be the interest of the person who's who's paying them. So if the if the landlord's paying them you know the commissions, then you have to be a little bit skeptical of whether or not they're really working. 100% in your interest. Not to say that there are people who would do it, but I think a really good real estate agent will say, that, look, I'm here working for the tenants. I can't be also working for the landlord in, yep. in this particular Absolutely. transaction yep. and you know, keep it separate. Otherwise, there's a conflict of interest uh, in that situation. But there are cases where, yeah, if you directly, like, let's say you're leasing commercial space and you're working with the leasing agent for the property who's going to work between you, the tenant, and 
the landlord or the building owner, again, that's one of those questionable spots, whether or not they're looking for the tenant's interest because they're getting paid by the landlord or the building owner. So that's always questionable. So if you find it like a real estate agent, you want to make sure that they're working you know, towards your benefit, looking out for your best interest, and that they can find those things that you ordinarily don't look at to say, well, hey, you know, you're, you're pulling the wool over my client's eyes because I know that you know, the value of this property is not worth this much and, and so forth. But I think for a separate podcast episode, we'll dedicate that to kind of like, if you want to, to talk about your experience sure. without getting too specific. Yep. And also maybe some of the like pointers or tips and, and like the watch outs of things that people should, you know, that you went through that other people may experience and that they should watch out for. And maybe just like advice that you've gotten from friends and maybe, you know, like real estate agents that perhaps you consulted with, real estate attorney you consulted with, what advice they might have given you. So we can save that for a future episode. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a great idea. All right. So let's move on. So I said that, you know, back in December, you know, I took a trip. I was down in Orlando and I like went to Disney and I visit the Kenny Space Center and I also visit uh, Universal Theme Parks. And, you know, one of the topics that came to mind, you know, when you're traveling, what are some of like the things that you should like tips uh, that you should keep in mind when traveling? Because I think that that tends a lot of times that we tend not to think about these things when we're traveling because we're just fo- so focused on, okay, on this day, I need to get to the airport by this time and I need to catch this flight and, and all these things that, you know, sometimes we don't think about things. For example, you know, a common thing w- when you're traveling is to carry extra clothes. And the reason I say that is when I went to Toronto last year, our flight got, got delayed. So, or actually our flight got canceled. It wasn't just delayed, it was got canceled and we were in Toronto for another couple of days. And so, you know, you, you only have a couple, a couple options. It's like you either have to do laundry, you know, wash your clothes, because most of the time when you travel, you take enough clothes for the number of days you're going and, you know, I'll carry, you know, an extra set of clothes as backup in the event something like this happens. And so, you know, when you're there for a couple extra days, well, you don't have backup, so you have to do laundry so that you have enough clothes. So now, you know, when I went down to Orlando, I carry two days worth of extra clothes just in case uh, and some extra, you know, just personal items and things like that with me so that I had backup. That's like one of the things that you should always, you know, keep in mind is that you carry some extra clothes with you in case you, you get, you know, stuck somewhere. The other thing you want to do is keep a separate set of clothes in your carry-on bag separate from your check luggage because I, I've, lately I've been hearing a lot more stories of more and more people, their check luggage goes missing somewhere. And it's like, I, I don't understand. If it's properly tagged, then it should not go missing. It should go from, okay, this you're going from New York to Los Angeles and it's going to LAX airport and this bag is tagged properly. It should make it on this plane, not the plane that's going to Dubai or Australia or somewhere else. So uh, that's another thing you should do is just carry an extra, you know, one set of clothes in like your, your carry-on bag so that you have it. Uh, nowadays, you should also probably carry like a portable battery or portable chargers. That's usually, I, I always now, wherever I go, whenever I'm traveling on a trip, and sometimes even day trips, I'll carry a battery. I mean, even coming to the studio today, I carried a portable battery with me just in case for some reason I would need it. So it's, it's good. I mean, you can get, I, I use the Anchor brand, but you can, you know, there are so many out there. And I think really what got me into getting portable batteries, a lot more of them now, 
was when we had Superstorm Sandy here in New York. Because I remember literally to charge your phone, you had to drain every laptop that you had in order to keep your phone charged because, you know, we didn't have power where we were for almost a week. Yep. So, and, it, you know, the subway system w- was down. Uh, they had started getting some buses working like a, a couple days afterwards. And so, you know, unless you were able to find locations where they did have power, you weren't able to charge like devices that you needed to. You know, there was no internet. Cell service was still choppy because yep. like all the major carriers, their equipment, uh, they didn't have power for it. Or if they had power running generators, it was really limited to, you know, who could really get access to it. So, yeah. but even nowadays, you know, if you're traveling, for example, sometimes like you go to an airport, you can't find those outlets anywhere. And they tell you now, don't use those USB outlets either because they're, they're not safe. So if you can't find an outlet, you need to, be able to charge your phone and you, know, you can carry like the portable chargers onto onto aircrafts as long as it's like under a certain uh, wattage so or or certain um the lamp hours i think i forget what the how the limit works but you can carry those on so that you know if you don't have those like premium seats or first class seats where you have a charging outlet you can still charge your phone while you're on the plane especially if you have a long flight so that's something you know i think that you should have if you're traveling, you should carry a, like a day pack. They have a lot of those foldable bags now. Like Bagel makes them. And there are other companies too that, that are fairly inexpensive, like 10 to $20, depending on the quality of bag that you want. And you carry like a day pack. So when you're on a day trip, it's, a, it's pretty much a backpack, but it's not as heavy as a backpack. And it's fold, it can fold up into itself and into like a, a little pocket size bag. So it's really nice to carry those. So I like you know taking at least one of those day packs with me so that on day trips you can have a bag with you and you're not like carrying a bag with handles. You have just like a little light backpack that you can travel with. And the last thing that I think you should have is if you're driving at all to bring a real GPS, don't solely rely on your phone because if you go to places like Arizona, uh, when we were in Toronto, we had some problems here where you have choppy cell service or choppy carrier service, then you want a real GPS for the car. There was one night, and I think I told this on the podcast, where we drove to Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, and we had to drive back to our hotel in Toronto, and the carrier service was really choppy. And this is at night, so you have really no perspective to identify like key areas that you need to, you know, where you need to drive. So it's good to have a real GPS, you know, like a Garmin GPS or a TomTom or. Uh, whatever you prefer to use, to have one of those, especially if, if your car or your rental car doesn't have GPS built in, to have a real GPS unit so that you have that backup available. I mean, when we went down to Orlando, I brought my GPS this time, fully updated the software, the maps to make sure we had it. We didn't need it, but I had it just in case something like that happens because you know we did have that happen when we were down in Arizona a few years ago on a road trip. There are a lot of areas where you just don't have carrier service. Or if you're driving in the desert, you can drive for miles and there's no place to stop. And you're in the desert heat, so you just have to keep going. And so if you can't get carrier service, it's really bad. So, uh, I mean, those are the things, just basic tips that you should have. You should have extra clothes. You should carry some clothing in your carry-on bag just in case your check luggage goes missing. Get a day pack. Get those portable chargers uh, and batteries and, you know, get yourself a real GPS just in case. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing to add to that would be even if you went to a warm place, you should always carry one long sleeve jacket or shirt yeah. or something like that. 
you know, just a hoodie, it can't hurt, right? Yeah. You never know if you'll just hit something where it might get chilly. Or, I mean, you might go somewhere where the air conditioning is really, mm-hmm. is like blasting. So you might need that anyway. So don't just assume that you're going to a really hot place that you won't need something. Or if you're going to go, hey, let me just bring all shorts. <laughs> you don't bring one, you know, long pants. You shouldn't do that. You should always carry something to account for some weather changer. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think you had that, right? Yeah, when we yeah. went down to Orlando, it's like it was cold here in New York City, but it was like in the 70s and 80s down in Orlando. So you didn't want to wear your winter jacket, you know, when you're down there. But there were some nights, like there was one night we went to Disney Springs, we went to watch a movie, and the temperature out there got to like 50 degrees or so, and it was chilly. So I brought, in addition to my winter coat, New York, I also brought a fleece jacket down. So I wore the fleece jacket and that kept me warm. So you, you just need to account for that in the event because, yeah, when you go down to Florida, especially if it's not during the summer season, that the nights are cooler. And if it's 50 degrees, it's chilly. Same thing in Toronto. At night when the winds picked up, it was like 50 degrees. It was cold out there and we needed jackets. The first couple of nights, we didn't take our jackets. It, was, it got really cold. And then afterwards, it's like, okay, at night, got to take the jacket. Plus, we were close to the water. So being close to the water, you have that, the wind coming off the water and, and it was chillier. So you definitely want to have like a light jacket or something with you because if you're going to spend time out and normally when you're traveling, you're going to be out for most of the day. And if you're going to be out at night for dinner and whatever activities you want to do after dinner, you want to have something just in case it gets cold. Exactly. And then I guess one piece is just check all your electronics. If you're going to bring electronics, make sure everything's working. Yeah. You know, especially like you said, you ran updates on your GPS, mm-hmm. but you also want to make sure it's working afterwards, yeah, right? You exactly. don't just run the updates. Okay, all right, let me pack it away. Mm-hmm. You should run the updates, check the maps where you're going, make sure all of that looks good, something didn't get skewed or anything like that, just because you never know, right? Yeah. You just double-check everything. Yeah, and, and like if you're taking a laptop, and I normally travel with a laptop, I think you normally travel with a laptop I do, as yeah. well, yeah. make sure that's fully charged because you know, the other thing is that if the TSA wants you to turn on your laptop just to make sure that everything's in in proper order and there's nothing suspicious you need to be able to do that i did have one time and i don't remember if it was leaving new york or coming back to new york where the i guess the x-ray machine that scans your your uh your carry-on bags stopped working so they had to check every bag down the line so um, a person that was traveling with me as well as myself we both had laptops so they had to literally take out the laptop you have to swab it and, and do that whole process to make sure that everything's, everything's good. And it's like, they didn't need us to turn it on, but that's the other thing. It's like, you know, I've seen sometimes people's laptops, they're, it's like down to 15% and, and they, because they leave it on all the time. It's like, that's not a good idea when you're at the airport. You want to make sure it's fully charged so that it's not going to cause a flag. So I actually have a funny story. That's why I was like laughing when you're talking about when you have to manually do it, yeah. swab and whatever. So there was one time my friends and I were coming back from Miami and, you know, I went through fine, but they went to a, a separate one. Right. And they were having issues with the scanner. Right. So they had to do each bag individually, and we were standing there. So finally, when my friend's bags got there, they were just finishing up with the person in front of them. We, right. we were standing by, you know, waiting for the bag. So as the lady was swabbing and doing all that stuff, we kind of made a comment to each other. It's like, ew, do they change that swab for each person, or do they just use the same one over right. and over and over? Right. And the answer is they do use the same one over. But I think the lady heard us because she changed the swab. <laughs> swab. <laughs> she looked at us and she changed the swab. Yeah. And I was like, hey, look, they changed it just for you. She kind of gave you that little smirk. Right. TSA people tend not to have emotions yeah, yeah. a lot of times. Right. 
But she looked at us like, oops, did we say that kind of loud? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was funny that they she opened a brand new one just to swab right. his bag and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but when you brought that up, it just... Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, n- now that you say that is um, it, it just brought up a memory of something that we were watching yesterday. Okay. <laughs> oh. I was debating on, on whether or not we bring it up, but I guess we will bring it up. So you had sent me a link to a uh, video yesterday and that I was watching that you were watching and then I was kind of like live commenting as I was watching it. So if you didn't know, um, Paris Hilton, she has uh, her own YouTube channel and she has this uh, this show now on YouTube Cook called Paris? Cooking, Cook with Paris or Cooking with Paris. And so you sent me the link yesterday. The moment I saw it, I was like saying, okay, how can this go wrong? And I look, I gave her the benefit of the doubt. I did too. I thought she was yeah. serious about this. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. She likes yeah. to cook. All right. right. Let, let, let me check it out. I was like, and I was like, oh, 15 minutes. All right. right. Well, she's going to make lasagna too. So I was like, I, I love lasagna. Let, let me see what, what trick she has. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the time I finished watching it, you know, and I was like commenting on so many different things. And, you know, obviously, if you want to watch it, you can go up to YouTube and find it. But after that, you know, we were we were talking about issues that we saw with the whole process. And then, you know, I started to check like, you know, online to see what other people were saying. And their comments were pretty much consistent with ours. I mean, like at the very beginning, for example, she's wearing these um, these gloves on her hands that she's using for for fingerless gloves. Yeah, fingerless gloves. And I forgot what the type of gloves they're actually for, but she's using them. Oh, I think they were driving a motorcycle gloves. Yeah, something something like like that. that. So she has those gloves on, and then she picks up her, her dog. She's holding her dog the, you know, at the very beginning of the segment, puts the dog down, and then she starts cooking. So that's like flag number one. It's like you're wearing these gloves that are on your hands that you're holding your dog with, and now you've begun preparing food. And that's like a, you know, number one no-no that you should do. You know, you got to wash your hands. Everything should be sanitized and whatnot. So you know, if, if I gave her the real benefit of the doubt, I would say, okay, well, maybe she changed out those gloves, and it's different gloves, and... Right, because they did cut scenes, right? Yeah. They cut in between. It's like, okay. That, that. And, and I had flagged this thing, too, that, you know, w- one of the things that w- frustrated me a little bit was the editing because they kept on putting that, like, Cooking with Paris logo every time they had their jump cuts in between. Instead of just jumping to the next scene or, or you know, fading into the next scene, they would throw that in. It's like, that's very frustrating to see. And then I was thinking, well, maybe they had to throw that in because the scene was longer and they had to cut something out. Because someone had to step in or, or, or whatnot. So that was like one of, the, one of the things. I think I saw one comment where they said that, well, she was, she's showing you how to cook, but she's, not, she's showing you like ingredients, but she doesn't know any of the quantities in there. So it's like if you want to replicate it, it's like you can't really cook. Like any cooking show, you see like Emerald Lagasse and, and you see Giada and you see Rachel Ray. They tell you, it's like add this much, add this much, get this type of meat and... and she did talk about like the pasta, for example, to get the pasta that you don't have to boil. She was using, I think, the Barilla pasta where right. you have to boil it so that it becomes soft. And most would have said, you want to boil it al dente and then you want to line the pan. Didn't quite make right. sense. And she said that that's not, the ki- that's not her kitchen. You know, she's never used that kitchen. So right. she's like, she doesn't know where everything through. is. Right. But for a homemade dish, everything was pre made. Yeah, the 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 pasta, the pasta, the pasta sauce, the sauce is pre-made. I mean, the meat wasn't, but right. you know that that would itself became an issue. It's like okay, so she puts the meat into the pan, and then she's adding the salt, and it's like salt all over the place, all over the the stove. But it's just like mass salt, and she's 
removing the salt by taking a paper towel and dabbing the meat to get the salt out. And then she dumps the paper towel into the sink. Yep. And, and then proceeds to add, uh, was it pink salt? Pink salt later. <laughs> and does the same there. thing. So you have very salty meat. And I think that's the only, th- and she had, was that the only thing she added to the physical meat before the sauce? Yeah, so. Just salt and y- pink well, salt. Yeah, so somewhere in the middle, she realized that she forgot the onions and the garlic. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm not going to cut it. Right. Now, uh, and then at that point, she was showing that she has sunglasses. For yes, when she cuts for when she cuts so onions that, and garlic. You know, she doesn't tear up. Right. And, I, you know, I'm sure many of us would wear sunglasses while we're cutting with sharp knives. So, I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't want to. To, to beat down on on yeah. Paris's no technique, absolutely there's nothing whatever. to do with that obviously yeah. these aren't just our comments yeah this is it mirrors everyone else right it, it, it's just I think you know because I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt that you know if she's going to be doing a cooking show that it's going to you know that it's like you know I, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt that she's stepping up to the plate to yep. do a cooking show yep. and for a moment there when she started off I said okay look look it looks like she's trying and then you just see some of the other stuff that goes on and it's like well, it's, you know, you, you, you lose that level, you know, you lose that credibility once you see right, that other stuff Right, because at the happen. beginning, she pretty much said, you know, as a kid, she loved cooking with her mom. Right. Her mom would make this all the time, right. uh, where she would just sort of help her mom out. I was like, okay, this is, this yeah. seems serious right. and everything like that. But as you kept watching within that 15 minutes, it, it just all went down the drain. Yeah. And then I thought, well, is, is she kind of doing like a mock of a food show right. or something you know because clearly this wasn't a serious thing uh not it, a serious cooking show and at the end of it the kicker is that she doesn't even she doesn't try eat the, the food. food yeah because most cooking shows you always see that they cut a slice and they try the food and you know regardless of how it actually tastes they're going to say mm, it's it's really good or or if you're like really you know it needs salt or or this and that but you know, she didn't do that. And so, I mean, it, it loses that level of credibility yep. that this was as serious. And I, I was hoping to give her that benefit of the doubt to say that, okay, you know, she's being serious about that. You know, they're making the time to go in. But as you just see things happen, and look, I, I get that you want to do something that's maybe just spur of the moment cooking. And it's like, so you don't have like prepared ingredients. I get that. But still, it, there has to be, you know, certain best practices put into place. And I think by not doing that, it just put into question, well, you know, are you really serious about doing this or are you just kind of doing this for just to get people to, to right. watch the video? I mean, and, yeah, I think halfway through it, I just saw it more as entertainment. So I was like, right. it, it was sort of, it went from a, like a WTF moment to yeah. amuse just because, okay, right. all right, this is entertainment now to yeah. me. Um, I can see how you gather viewers because everyone's going to be like, hey, did you see that video? That, yeah. That, well, that look, she, she's, up, getting, you know? she's getting feedback yeah. here because we're talking about it on this podcast. Clearly, and so yeah. she's, she's getting... You know, publicity, because now we talk about someone listens to our podcast and what the heck are they talking yeah. about? And they're going to go on to YouTube and they're, and they're going to watch it. Right. And, you know, I feel that in a sense, she is a smart business person. Right. Because mu- I've seen her do interviews and this and that from right. when she was younger to, you know, when she's more mature. Yeah. And I feel that this is one of those to, you know, just get that attention right. out there, get people to, to see what she's up to or this and that, get people to talk about her. I think in the entertainment business, right? Yeah. People are talking about right. you. Right. Whether it's good or bad. At hey. the end of the day, I think that she's still considered an influencer, and so you know, I think she had two hundred somewhat yeah. thousand subscribers on her YouTube right. channel. Yep. So clearly, she's an influencer, yep. and you know, if she does enough of these and gets enough attention, then and right now, clearly, she can monetize her her YouTube site. I mean, I'm sure that uh, I think the the rules right now 
is that you have to have at least 10,000 subscribers and 4,000 views annually, I think. Okay. Something like that. Uh, I don't remember the exact rules, but... You know, so she, clearly she can monetize yeah, I mean, her YouTube uh, channel. And, again, like she you were saying yesterday, to. right? She may win an award, and maybe it's not... She's yeah. dominated different industries. Maybe yeah. it's like, well, I want to dominate this right. YouTube industry yeah. of videos and create something that will get people to watch it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, her mind, again, I don't. it must have been tactical, where it's just like, well, if I do a regular cooking show, you know, will that really get the views? Exactly. And if and I do something like this... Yeah, and, and it probably will get the views. You know, I think if she did a real professional-level cooking show, she'd still get the views. I think, but what it would do is it would probably give her, you know, more credibility in doing something that that looked very professional, very serious. And this just kind of looks like it's a split between being serious and and just kind of doing things that are are weird. I mean, I've told you before, I I haven't shown you any of the videos. There's a a very uh, popular uh, YouTuber, um, I Justine. And so she, some of her videos, sometimes she does like these cooking videos and sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But, you know, it's, she's not trying to claim that she's a cook or anything. Because she does tech videos and another thing. She's, you know, well-known and, and well-respected. So when she does those videos, it's, it, that part is still, yeah, it's part entertainment and then part just kind of just exploring things and, and trying things. So in that case, it's like you know that, you know, she's not trying to be a cook in, in those segments that she does. So it's fine. It's just, you know, it's interesting and it's entertaining and sometimes things work and sometimes things don't versus like what Paris Hilton is doing and it's like, okay, this is, I, I want to give you that benefit of the doubt that you're doing something serious but it's like one part is it looks like you're being serious and then the other part is just that you're intentionally yep. just doing it so badly that, you know, right. I, don't, I don't know how to, yep. how to explain it. So it's it's very it's a very big difference uh, when you look at it from that perspective. And I mean, I I didn't look at what else she has up on her YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, I guess it's stuff that she's done in the past. So. Yep. No. I mean, I mean, we talk about this, but in a sense, quote unquote, as bad as that was, you know. And at the end, she's like, "Oh, you know, leave comments on what you want me to cook next." I feel that if she has another one, I'd watch it just because right. it's, it's, it's like one of those things like it's so bad, yeah. but I really need to watch it yeah. just because I want to see where she'll, she'll take it. Right. And, and I guess that, you know, they've done their job you know, as an influence. She, she she's hooked people one, to, yeah. to get it. And I mean, even uh, what I was sending you yesterday, one of the sites that uh, were reviewing the YouTube video, they were saying that, yeah, the, that person's going to watch it too, because that way they can continue to comment on it. So it, it varies. There, I don't know, you know, maybe that's the intent, maybe that's not the intent. Uh, she'll definitely get feedback, and she'll do whatever. You know, I guess you'll see, you know, if, if she steps it up to the level in which she, going forward, she's going to have recipes, and she's going to actually prepare it, you know, with best practices, then it shows that she's being serious about cooking. If she continues to kind of just do it this way, then it's more entertainment, entertainment yep. purposes and not really the level of, of, of cooking. I mean, I, I would have given it to her if she had tasted the food. Yeah. To say, I give her give her back some of the credibility. But the fact that you cooked it, you showed it, and then that was it. Oh, you know, and, and the other thing I, I had flagged, and I mean, you know, cook uh, chefs will probably have different philosophies, but I, I put into question the fact that she put the aluminum foil on top of the lasagna that she prepared before she even started baking in the oven. And normally you want to keep it off so that the inside cooks well, and then you cover it at the end to make sure the top doesn't 
burn. And so she did the opposite, which was put it in. And th- but when she pulled it out of the oven, the foil was already off. So clearly they went in there at some time, made yeah, adjustments. So I, I think on that screen where they showed the, the timer, yeah. they did right. You have to take to off take the foil off. after this time. Yeah. So she did do that. Yeah. I saw someone put a comment saying, oh, that's not the same dish because this one had no foil. Right. But when I looked at it, yeah. um, well, they, he, didn't, they mentioned yeah. it. That yeah. doesn't mean that they it, didn't no, switch it, it out. No, it could, it could like be that. switched it out too. It, there's there's no way of telling. I feel that they didn't just because she did taste it. I, I would have thought if they flipped it out to something that was... Yeah. Right, you know, she would have tasted it. And, she probably would have at least cut open. Cut yeah, it, at least do that because that's the other thing is that you want to showcase at least the, cut a wedge out of the lasagna and show the final dish on a plate. Yep. And she didn't do that. She just took it out of the oven and said, okay, well, that doesn't mean it's fully cooked. Is, yep. You know, is it edible? Well, added to her layers are all wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that was the other thing is that, you know, look, I, I don't, I guess everyone does it differently. It wouldn't cut properly, right? Though. No, but here's the thing: is that she she had mixed in the the meat with the sauce, and she used that whole base as the bottom covering. Now, I don't have a problem with putting a covering of sauce on the bottom. Which it's makes normally sense. a sauce yeah. on the bottom. Then you put the lasagna noodles. Then you put your filling and your cheese. And another repeat. round and repeat. But she put the sauce that already had the meat in there at the bottom. And I've never had lasagna where the sauce at the bottom has the chunky meat at the bottom there at the lowest level. You put sauce at the bottom, you right. put sauce at the top. You don't put the yeah. filling at the bottom. So I've had a lot of lasagna in my day, and yeah. not one has ever been like that. Oh, yeah, and I, I, you know, I've recently been fortunate enough to go to you know, some of these, these restaurants. I was uh, last Sunday, I went to Carmine's here in the city. The, the food there is amazing. Everything is family-sized portions. Yep. Uh-huh. So we had four people because we were going to see a show. So, yeah, we're done talking about Paris Hilton, uh, at least for now. But so just jumping off. So we went to see a show at the Beacon Theater uh, on, sun- on Sunday night. And it's a Shin Lim. He doesn't consider himself a magician. He's like a sleight-of-hand expert, I guess. And he was also performing with Colin Cloud, who is a mentalist forensic mind reader. And so we were going to see that show. So we had dinner before, so we went to Carmine's for dinner. And so the plates, you know, everyone yours, like the plates are massive. I mean, huge plates. You know the, the plate that we normally, um, our dad prepares a turkey on? Yep. It's that size plate. So in other words, you went into that show with a food coma. Yeah, because, <laughs> so we ordered pretty much, you know, the table had bread. And so we ordered lasagna and we ordered chicken parmesan. Okay. Now the chicken parm doesn't come with any pasta. So the, that, it's different. At Carmine, too. if right. you want pasta, you have to order separately. Yeah. So we ordered that. It's like a lot of food to eat. So it's, you know, four people. There's, we finished everything, but it was still like, you know. But you ordered two dishes for four Just people. Just two right? dishes. Because yeah, yeah. they said one dish could literally serve. Did they explained that to you when yeah, you went they saw, this that, right? she, okay. Yeah, the, the, the server came over and said that, you know, we, everything is family-sized yeah. portion. Uh-huh. So it's enough to feed four people. Okay. So like the chicken parmesan, like these gigantic pieces of, of chicken parmesan and when you cut it up you can share it and literally you everyone had their own slice plus there were still slices left over right same with the lasagna the lasagna was amazing the chicken parm was amazing when we were in orlando we went to maggiano's which is another italian restaurant and i forgot what we we had we all ordered our own dishes so a lot of times i'll order like the chicken marsala uh mainly because like you know uh i try to avoid like any heavy cheeses when i'm going to you know when you can be sitting out. for two hours at Yeah, because you don't know. Outside, because yeah. the idea is, you know, our bodies work differently. Yep, and, and so you want to tread carefully on what you eat. So a lot of times I'll get like chicken marsala, which is, you know, you still have that breaded, um, is it breaded chicken or is it grilled chicken? I can't 
can't remember the type of chicken chicken marsala. And then they have mushrooms on top. I usually get that. And the portions are also huge. And we were, you know, we all had our own plates and we were sharing our food with each other when we were at Maggiano. So there were four of us for there for that too. And it's like, that's a lot of food. So, and fortunately we weren't going to show, we were just going to dinner that night, going back to the hotel. So I've been fortunate enough to, ha- you know, try some of that. And that's why I like when they have the San Gennaro festival, uh, in September in the city, because you go there and there are a lot of the Italian restaurants where normally you have to sit down and you're going to be paying like $20, $30 for a plate. And you can try like different things like they're like the fresh Italian meatballs, the yeah. fresh ravioli. So I always like going there. Uh, this year, I don't, did I go this year? I think I went this year. And this year, I think I got like a, a sausage and pepper sandwich and didn't get any pasta. But it's like, you want to be, when you try that pasta, like the higher end pasta versus like the stuff that you go to like a local uh, pizza or, or, or deli for, it's like, it's very different. Yep. So it's like, it, it was really good. The portions were, were huge, but it, but it was just delicious to have that. And then, and then we went to see the, the show, the show uh, Limitless. So that was a fun show to, to watch as well. It's so like cool. my, my first, my first uh, entertainment show to watch for 2020. And then there, I think we're going to see um, when Camila Cabello is performing at the Garden. We're going to be going later in the year to, to watch her perform. I haven't, I still have to get her, I have to listen to her new album. But I sent you something uh, when she was doing the riff, riff off with uh, James Corden uh, the other night. Yeah, it's funny. I just watched it probably like 10 minutes beforehand. Yeah. Um, and then I got distracted. But I was going to send that same thing to you. I said, like, oh, yeah. check this out. Yeah. Uh, and she, she she broke up in the in the know, segment, yeah. like right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So that was funny. Well, he, he kind of forced yeah, he, it out yeah, there. Yeah, he forced it out there. <laughs> that's that's something you explained. Yeah, and she, yeah, she wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. And so so she kind of like broke character for the moment right. and then came back in. Yeah. But it's like funny because she's singing, singing Shawn Mendes's. Mendes's that song. That was supposed to be. Yeah, the and then it closed out with, yeah. with, with her, uh, with song, her well. song and, and Sean. Yep, yep. Sean's songs, song. Yeah. So, that, so that was like really cool to watch. Those, the, yeah, the riff offs are always funny when, when they do that. So that was fun to watch. Yeah, I, I kind of knew where that was going when you watched the beginning. You're like, oh, okay. They're gonna, they're, he's purposely talking trash. And yeah. then someone comes in. It's, it's, they're all the same. Yeah. How they, they start and they end the same. Yeah, the concept it's, is it's the same. Funny. It's yeah. just, you know, what. You know what the insults are, what right. the, the the what insults they trade, and and what songs they end up singing. And you yeah. know, there's always going to be a song, you know, one of their own songs. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the insult was pretty good though. I forgot what, what it was. There was yeah. a couple of good insults there. Yeah. Like, ooh, okay. There was a um, I think on uh, Jimmy Fallon, uh, the Tonight Show, where he had a musical artist on, and they had the he had the band. The Roots playing like songs, and they had to guess what the songs were. Oh, is it the Haley Steinfeld one? I don't. Th- I don't think it was the Haley Steinfeld. Oh it, no, no, no. she's just the one where they they play music. Yeah. and they had to come up with a song right, the, the, that the matches that. Yeah, beat. so no, they were playing like the the beat of the song, and they had to name what the song was. So when it came up to her song, it was a female artist. Her song. She didn't know that it was her song. Was and it Gwen Stefani? No, I don't was think it was Gwen Stefani. I'm trying to remember I've who. Watched the, so many of these, and yeah, I forgot which one. I was. forgot who the artist was, but it was like literally Jimmy Fallon. Like you. Yeah, you know, I, I, that I could know, but yeah, I heard no, the song. It's like I knew it was a, her song, and then yeah. like Jimmy Fallon named the song, and she was like lo- completely lost as to. No, it was Taylor Swift. Oh yeah, it's it Taylor, Taylor Swift. Yeah, it's no, Taylor no. Swift's own song. Yeah, and she didn't even know it was her own song, and it was yeah. like hilariously funny. That's what happens when you watch like all of these. You forget which yeah. one's which. Yeah, there's but so there, many. There's some that stand out, yeah. uh, and I, I remember them just because. Um, they, but they did something similar to that with Blake Shelton, where they were playing right. a Gwen Stefani song. Yeah, it's like I don't know that song, and it was like. Great, now you just got me in trouble. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you know, it happens. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you, sometimes when you listen to the tune, you, you don't know it just by, by the tune or, or by that part of the tune if yeah. you don't hear it that often because you need the lyrics and that just kind of the yeah. compilation yeah. makes sense to you. But, yeah, you see a lot of those. You know, we were, we were trying to go see Taylor Swift this year as well for her lover tour. And, unfortunately, the thing is that she's only doing a very select number of stadiums, so it's, like, very hard to, to get tickets for that. But when we went to her, her other show uh, last year or the year before, it was, it was at MetLife Stadium. And it was the, the night, it was like pouring. So we had like ponchos on, like we're just soaking wet the entire time. So you, you leave the, the, you leave MetLife Stadium and you're like literally soaking wet from head to toe because it was like pouring the entire time. Did they there. have the stage covered? That's how they were still able to perform? No, the stage was open. It was oh. an open stage. The stage was wet too. So everyone had to just perform. Everyone, yeah, wow. everyone was wet, and it's like just got harder, harder and harder throughout the night. So That's one crazy. of our friends, they they brought ponchos, so we were all wearing yeah. the ponchos out there where you could of course buy ponchos but it's like you got soaked yeah that's gotta be worse for an artist though like i mean it's great that they still perform through it yeah. but then you could so easily get sick yeah and the thing is that when you get sick and you have tour dates yeah it messes they, they, it up yeah, because they, you have to skip to it and yeah. try to come back later on yeah you know it's obviously happened before but it would suck if you just got sick off of that yeah, but abso- yeah absolutely. obviously they make sacrifices yeah uh, that was the thing and everything. we had debated like you know, do we want to step in you know go back in and um you know, when it was raining hard, and we just said, you know, we just bite the bullet. We're just going to stay out here. I mean, if it's like a ball game, like you're going to yeah. a Mets or Yankee game right. or something like that, it's like, okay, you can step out and, and listen to it. Yeah. You know, a difference maybe if it's like the World Series and, and yeah. it's like raining or something. But they yeah. normally, like th- that game, they're probably going to they're gonna to, to suspend the game yeah. until the Definitely. rain stops. But like a concert, it's like it's rain or shine unless, unless it's dangerous, yeah. like there's lightning or something. Right, exactly. But I think, you know, obviously if, if the entertainer, is performing for you in the right. rain. You should be going out there and, you know, obviously watching the show that you pretty much paid for, not go inside and watch it on a TV, right? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, you bite the bullet for the for the couple hours and, and you deal with it. Yep. So, Do you remember what your first phone was? Your first non-smartphone? Pretty sure it was the Motorola StarTac, the, the non-digital, was it called? The analog the one. The analog one. With just the one screen. One uh, line screen, yeah, but analog had that orange, yeah, orangey. it had the uh, orangey red, yeah, yeah, exactly. like, like eight boxes or, or ten yep. boxes. There. Yes, that was yeah, my that, first that, that was my uh, that it wasn't my first phone, but it was my f- it was my first permanent phone because yeah. I did for like one day have another phone that I returned, but uh, yeah, the the StarTac was probably my favorite non smartphone to date after all these years. Because it it was just so like compact because it was like a little clamshell, really lightweight, really easy to carry, and like you didn't have to put it in the holster. You could stick it in your pocket and carry it with you. It was like the most portable phone and most durable phone ever. But the holster was cool, and you know, going back back then, yeah. holsters were cool. Oh yeah, holsters were cool. They're not cool anymore, but holsters. Yeah, were not cool. so much. I mean, I I went I went through holsters through the the BlackBerry phase, and even like for my early iPhones I did a holster uh, for and I liked like the Sadio brand um, cases and holsters so I used that and then it just got to the point where as the phones got heavier when you put it on a belt click it's like it weighs down on one side so it, it didn't feel comfortable anymore so I had to do away with the holsters but yeah I would say the StarTech was probably my, my favorite non-smartphone and then like the Iden phones from Nextel when Nextel was still around was also good fun to use those and then afterwards it was like 
from there, I think I went to BlackBerry because that's when the smartphones were starting to kick into high gear and, and you really want, and, you know, the main point there was to have access to your email. So you could always be connected and then finally moving on to the smartphone. I think you had the 7290, right? That's where you start with? The black and white one, right? Or not black and white, but it was yeah. like the color one. Yeah, yeah, I, it was a black and white. I love those series because it's mm. not that side scroll. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was so much But the easier. battery life was amazing. You could drop it 50 times oh, yeah. and it I, still yeah, would have great. I mean, the battery would fly out, the cover would yeah. go somewhere else, but you could still put it back together and yeah. turn it on. And, you know, you barely had to ever charge it, what, maybe once a week? Yeah. Um, but again... T- the argument is that the screen was different, right? right. Um, the reason the battery dies down now is because obviously processing power, the screen. Right. So it's a lot different, but yeah. I do miss those type of days where I could just forget to charge it yeah. and it's still charged. I mean, well, one day, how, how, how much percent did it drop? Like five, right. if even? Yeah. And, um, and also, you know, that you had a real keyboard. So like right. I could write novels on yeah. that. I mean, I would send emails like, you know, after hours, and I could literally type paragraphs and paragraphs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That. I was able to type without even looking at yeah. at some point. I yeah. got so good exactly. at typing. Yeah, just using your thumbs. Da, 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 da. But, yeah. you know, even now with, like, the iPhone X, it's like I still have the issue where the, the, the digital keyboard, yeah. my fingers still strike, like, the keys next to it, and I can't get, like, that perfect uh, typing going. But if I get yeah. something like, the, like a Pro Max, for example, with the larger screen real estate, it's better. It's still not perfect, but it's yeah. better. Yeah, I can't. I can't fast type. Like, if I'm doing a work email, I can't right. fast type on it. Otherwise, it just becomes a mess. If I'm, yeah. if I'm texting, I can right. do it pretty fast because you don't use it kind of like shorthand, yeah. right? You're not, you're not caring about writing it all right. uh, full and fancy. But I, I do have that same issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, what we have to save. I guess part of, of it is to see what Apple comes out with this year. You know, supposedly the new iPhone, possibly the 12, you know, assuming they don't go 11S will be something, you know, is supposedly will have 5G and it may it may have four cameras, it may have three cameras, it should have a new, I think, A14 chip, whatever the next number in sequence is. So we should see some improvements as well. I mean, I stayed away. F- I wanted to go with the 11 Pro Max, but it was like if the 5G is coming out, if there's going to be an enhancement, even better cameras, then I might just want to wait for that. Because my 10 has just completed, like, its two-year cycle. So I can hold off for another nine, ten months until the next one comes out before I do an upgrade. But I've also noticed that with iOS 13 and with the latest release, 13.3, that, you know, now I have problems with LTE and Wi-Fi. So I solved one of my problems, which was the uh, issue with the uh, having to delete mail twice. And that was, like, in one of the, the recent iOS 13 patches but now with 13.3 all of a sudden i'm noticing like if i'm going between wi-fi and lte the lte won't kick back on it's like i literally have to either reset my network settings reboot the phone turn off the phone turn it back on one of those options in order to to get lte when i was coming today to to record the podcast got a subway station same thing the lte would not work i could not get it on without rebooting my phone yeah that happens to me from time to time i think I was the one who first said it to you that it happened yeah. to me. It's like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's um, happening and a you, lot now. It says it's, it's on the network, yeah. but it just doesn't go anywhere. You open up Safari, nothing mm-hmm. works. Then you just have to reboot the phone and everything comes back online. But it could be a bit annoying. Me, especially like when, I, when I'm traveling around, I'm listening to music, walking, doing whatever. So rebooting the phone in the middle of that just kind of interrupts you. 
Yeah. And I try not to be on the phone um, when I'm walking. So, right. you know, you're not like everyone else is walking and trying to type or read their phone and they start walking really, really slowly and you know what they're doing and you try to get around them, but you can't. Yeah. Um, so it gets very annoying, especially on uh, coming out of the, the subway when yeah. people are doing that. And I'm just like, all right, come on. You, you lasted this long without it. Give it another 20 seconds and, and right. walk up first. Because I've seen someone even trip and fall doing that. Like, okay, wait till you get out. Clear the station. Now look at your phone. Um, yeah. So. No, absolutely. I see it all the time. Um, people, like, walking up the, the stairs of the subway station, they're like, why are you walking so slow? It's like, there's no one in front of you. It's because they look at their phone. Yeah, I can always tell now. Like, looking from someone behind, you can always tell. The way that their neck is arched, their head. Yeah. I know they're they're on the phone. I'm like, oh, come on. Just move along, please. Yeah. Uh, you have to pay attention because you've heard the stories of people, like, walking into, like, lakes and tripping over. You know, walking into traffic. You know, in the city, there are cars going left and right. Sometimes they don't pay attention to the light, and you have to pay attention to it. Someone's walked in the train track before, you know? Yeah. They're walking on the platform, and suddenly they fall into the... Also, the track is not looking. Yeah, so, you, you, have know, to, you definitely have to pay attention. But yeah, it's it's been annoying. I would have hoped by now, and I've lost count on how many versions of iOS 13 have come out now. I think the beta versions of 13.3.1 are out with developers, and there might be might be in public beta as well. But you know, they need to fix this because this has been probably one of the worst. This may be actually the worst in recent iOS history because I don't remember going through this many versions of iOS anything and still having this many issues to deal with. So it's, it's really bad to, to keep going. And, and these are not like minor issues. These are like critical issues. And now it's gotten worse to, you know, your LTE or your Wi-Fi not being stable and, and not being able to hold that connection. Yeah, I mean, you just have to change the way you do everything. I, I was telling you, you know, each night I turn off my mail notification because right. I don't want to be woken up if I get an email in the middle of the night. Right. But the problem was that each time I turned back on, I wasn't getting um, the notifications properly turning back on. So while I turned it on, it wasn't really working. So it got to the point where now I'm just like, all right, you know, I'm not even going to turn it off. If I get an email that wakes me up in, in the middle of the night, then it wakes me up because it's better than trying to deal with I have to have a, do a whole sequence of turn this off, turn that off, kill the app, go back in, turn it back on, uh, go back into the app, test it, and hope it works. Most of the time that worked. Sometimes I do a reboot, but it, it just got taxing on you. You know what I mean? It's just not worth the time. So I just gave up on that completely. Yeah. But hopefully the next major version is a significant improvement. Yeah. Uh, but it... it it's killed the quality of life. Of yeah, no, your phone, yeah, definitely. absolutely. It, it's and, and yeah, the battery life is is gone bad again with with this release. For a while, I think um, either before thirteen two or right after thirteen two, it was like it was better for a while. Yep. And now I'm starting to see the same thing. Like I spend just a couple of minutes on it, and I'm down, you yeah, know, two percent exactly. So it it doesn't make any sense that that should be happening. Yep. So they they need to figure out what the problem is, and with the next release of iOS, so iOS fourteen. They really need to, to step it up and, and get it to work properly because you can't have something like this, you know, this many versions that have come out already and you still have so many bugs to deal with. So Windows 7 has reached its end of life and I, you know, I've, it's been like in the media and, and I also I still have like a Windows 7 Pro machine at work. So I got like the big message when I booted it up. The, I think the day after is like Windows 7 has reached end of life blah 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 and it's like well you know even though it's reached end of life it doesn't mean that you can't use Windows 7 anymore it just means that there won't be any 
more security updates. There won't be any major updates. There won't be any updates in, in general. The funny thing, though, is that uh, I think on the same day, uh, Microsoft released the new version of the Microsoft Edge browser, the, uh, the Chromium version, based on, on Chrome, I guess. And so, you know, I downloaded it. And it's like, it was kind of weird because I, so it's Windows 7 has reached end of life, but you created a version that will work on Windows 7. Because I think uh, Google said that they're going to continue to support Windows 7 until 2021. Right. Something like that. But it's optimized for Windows 10, right. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But, I, you know, I've had problems with, it, with Edge on Windows 10 as yep. well. Because at the beginning, it just felt like a very heavy browser. Yep. And it just didn't perform well. And then for a while, like, after I did, like, the major Windows 10 updates, it was working better. And then it has the same thing. Like, if you go up on YouTube, for some reason, it just, the, the graphics driver just dies for some reason on my computer and my computer you know is out of warranty but it's not like super old yep. so it should be able to handle it because i can do it i can use it on firefox i can use it in chrome but on edge it just it screws up i still have problems even with the latest version of adobe acrobat where if i create pdfs in edge that like the fonts are all screwed up but if i do it in any other browser it's fine for a while it worked and, and it's you know back to the same thing so it makes absolutely like no sense why that happens i haven't tried the new chromium edge browser in Windows 10, but I've been doing it on the Windows 7 machine, and it, it, it's faster. It's very much like Chrome with just the Microsoft naming conventions. Right, like yep. the incognito window in Chrome is the in private, uh, in private window yep. in Edge. But other, other than that, it's like fairly similar. Yeah, I've been using it for like half a day now on Windows 10. It does feel lighter. It does feel better. It's reactive. I, I feel it's less intensive on the CPU, like for me, Chrome is very intensive right. on the CPU, and that's why I don't really like Chrome too much. Yeah. I know a lot of people are going to hate me for that, but I'm not a fan of right. Chrome itself. I do get that Chrome has all the add-ins that people love just right. because you can customize the browser at that point, right? But with this new version of Edge, you can, it, it accommodates right. those, you can uh, do the those add-ins. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what I, and I said this last time, is like I primarily use Chrome for Squarespace because when you're using the, the site build tools, for some reason, Chrome works better than uh, Edge yep. or Firefox. It doesn't make any sense. And I've run into like all sorts of weird issues when I use the other browsers that I don't run into with Well, I guess Chrome. it depends what was developed in, right? I mean, yeah. that's what developers have to do, well, right? It's make the sure same, it works for every browser. Yeah, it's the same thing. If you go into the YouTube Creator Studio and you use Edge, it's screwy. But if you use Firefox, it's fine. Yep. So I use Firefox for that. Uh, there are some sites, like if you go to certain media outlets where... Uh, it's fine in, in Edge, but Firefox hangs for some reason because it, it can't render the graphics. So there's like every browser kind of has like its own quirks. So I, I literally now have Edge, I have Chrome, I have Firefox. Uh, and then at work, because I have some work stuff that only apparently still runs in IE, right. that I still have to use IE for that. But I don't use IE for anything else because right. it doesn't run at all. No, because it hasn't been further developed, so right. it can't support a lot of the new technologies, yeah. which is the one bad thing with IE. Yeah. But it, hey, it's still great for anything older than that, right? Yeah, for, the, for any of the old stuff that you need to do, it's fine. Right. But for anything, of any new stuff, it, do, it doesn't work. I mean, it's kind of like the same thing with um, a lot of HP printers that had the JetDirect cards in there. <laughs> you have the built-in web interface, yep. but it used Java, an old version of Java. So now if you try to access those pages, you just get the spinning... Java wheel because it can't load it anymore because it didn't use that version of Java anymore. And it's, it's so annoying because the web interface made it so easy to like program IP addresses and DNS and your router and you can't do that anymore. So you have to like literally 
um, at work, we have this one printer that the built-in Jet Direct card failed. So I got one of those, you know, the external Jet Directs for it. But even that software still only works with the old version of Java. So if I need to reprogram that, I have to pull up the JetDirect manual to look at the, you know, the specific command right. instructions to, to, to do that in order to reprogram that. So it's, like, it's really frustrating to have to do that in a day and age when you have a graphical user interface. You know, I, I could swear almost that years ago they said Flash and Java will go away. Yeah. And it never went away. It, it hasn't completely gone away. It's predominantly gone away. I still hear it's funny, like from an advertising side, that you know some people, you know, they want a banner and flash. It's like you do know that you know no yep. sites are really using flash anymore. You should be HTML five. But yeah, the, right. it, it yep. comes up every so often that people do that, and it's like you know because they're not up to date, and there are still sites that are not up to date. If you turn off, oh, here, here's a good one, the Spectrum app. So in New York and probably across the country. Uh, what used to be Time Warner Cable is Spectrum, and you know, Spectrum ha- has acquired, you know, Charter has acquired Spectrum since. But if you want to use your computer to go up and watch your TV because you have a Spectrum subscription you know, with, with the cable company, the first thing it needs is it needs you to enable Flash. Because <laughs> if Flash is not enabled, it doesn't work. Right. And that makes absolutely no sense because virtually every browser by default disables Flash now. So right. you have to enable Flash in order for it to work. Yep. The alternative is to use the apps for like iOS and, and Android, or if you have Roku, which is the other thing. The only desktop box that you can get is a Roku that supports Spectrum because they have a partnership. Outside of that, like Apple TV doesn't have a Spectrum app. Uh, uh, the Chromecast doesn't have a Spectrum app. So you can't use the app for that. Yeah, I guess speaking about those boxes, I, yeah. one thing I don't get is YouTube. Yeah. So if I use YouTube mm-hmm. on an Amazon device, yeah. and I use U- YouTube on an Apple TV, yeah. and I use YouTube on a Roku, yeah. the behavior is different in every single yeah. one of those. And it gets really annoying just because you get used to one way, mm-hmm. and then you got to get used to another way. Right. And the randomizations of, sometimes I just like to have YouTube, I just let a video run, and right. it goes to the next one, like watching music videos yeah. or something like that. And... The Amazon TV seems to be the best one because it randomizes well. Right. And you're not always listening to the same artist mm-hmm. versus the Apple TV. Right. Once you're that artist, it continues with that artist. Right. Unless I'm doing something wrong, but I know there's, there, there's places something, where you There difference. must be something in the algorithm in those right. Um So if I had to rank it, it's sort of like Amazon 1, Roku 2, Apple TV 3. Right. But they just all behave differently. They and behave that really irks yeah. me because when I'm watching it on different yeah. devices and I have different devices for different purposes, right. but it, it does bother me that it's like, why can't I just stick with one device that just has it exactly how I want it to be? Yeah, and, it, and it's not just that because I've noticed that sometimes like if I'm using the YouTube app for iOS, so if I'm watching like videos on my iPad or my iPhone, that in, in that app, sometimes if you have the videos running at 1080p, like they freeze or they hang or they constantly buffer. Right. But if I go on to the website on my laptop, it's perfectly fine. Right. And if I go onto my iPad onto the website and I can get to the full YouTube site, it works fine. Makes no sense that that should happen. So that means it's something localized in the app that's right. not able to handle. Right, because I thought I would think YouTube develops the app and that's it. Right. Like why are there differences within the app of a, on a different device? Yeah, it, it shouldn't because I, you know, if anything, the app is self-contained, so it should work much better. Right. 
but it doesn't work that way. And so it tends to create a problem. And so I've seen that even like the videos that, that, that I create, like I've watched a few, it's like, why, why is this video like at 1080? Why is it hanging? Why is it not? Oh, now the sound's not in sync. So like, that doesn't make any sense. It was all fine before. Go up to the YouTube site, play it. Perfectly fine. Right. And then a few days later, the app's fine again. But I didn't update the app. So it's like, well, is the app connecting to a server that's different than the website? Or, or is the delivery somehow different? Because I should be getting the same quality across the board. But I, you know, I don't do that. So I don't know. That, that's strange. I guess the last thing I wanted to um, touch on is uh, Sidecar. So I wanted to try Sidecar on with my with my Mac, and I can only do it with my 12-inch MacBook because that's the only one that is compatible with Sidecar. But I realized something, which I mentioned to you, is that you have to actually have two-factor authentication in order for Sidecar to work. If you don't have your iCloud accounts set up with two-factor authentication, it does not work. So you can't get that to... To work well but so what are your thoughts in terms of sidecar from your you know just your brief testing of it yeah i mean i like it right i didn't i didn't see any lag to it but overall it's nice what would i really use it too often i don't think so i think i i guess i have enough real estate on my macbook right. i feel i don't really need a second screen right. but you know it really depends on what you're doing with right. it right i mean like if i talk about my work laptop for example right. I like having dual screens in the office right. just because of the type of work that I do. Right. But when I'm going back to just my normal stuff at home, your day-to-day, I don't feel like I really need the dual screen or the larger screen. But I think it comes in handy. I mean, I think if you're giving a presentation, that might be good to be able to show someone what you're doing. Right. You know, or, or just drag it onto the side. I think that's cool. But... It's a cool add-on feature. Right. I wouldn't say it's a must-have, at least not for me. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people love to have it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, like, if you have email up and you need to work yeah. on, like, an Excel sheet or a PowerPoint presentation, that you can always have your email up at all times. Or maybe if you're watching a video. Yeah. Uh, maybe if you're uh, learning something. So you have a YouTube video or a training video up, and then you have your software application. Like, you're learning Photoshop or something. That that could be helpful to have that without having to have a separate device next to you. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like that's running the application. Everything's handy off your computer. Another thing, I guess, is like video editors to have the the screen one screen so that they can have just what they're editing, and another to just like the playback screen so they can see everything there without having to kind of go back and forth. Because like one of the things I know, like Final Cut, for example, is that when you're in the full editing mode and you have your timeline and your assets and um, you know all the, the the feature settings that you can play with, your screen is tiny. So you have to literally close some of those inspector windows in order to get a larger screen, or you have to just play back in full screen. And normally I don't play back in full screen until like I'm almost done with the video. So when I'm editing right now and I do it off like a MacBook Air, it's not enough screen real estate. Although I don't know in in Final Cut if you could really throw that into a separate window because I've never done that before. I normally just keep the window in line with everything. So that would be interesting to see if that's possible. But I guess if you if you are doing that, then yeah, it would help to be able to just put something onto that separate screen and right. use it for that purpose instead. Yeah. I, I think I tend to use things more individually. Like if there are specific things on my iPad, right. then I'll be running that. It's on the side, yeah. right? But I don't need it attached to my MacBook because there might be an app for that already mm-hmm. or something's running or I want to watch TV on the Spectrum app. Right. 
I'll just have that running while yeah. I'm doing my work on my yeah, computer. Yeah, which is what I do too, is that like if I want to watch like TV, for example, and I don't want to be sitting in front of the TV, I could have my iPad up with just the, the app up, and I could be watching that, or I could watch YouTube videos, and then I have my laptop in front of me doing whatever else I'm doing. So right. that, that's fine for me. I don't need to have that extended yep. desktop. Yeah, and I mean, maybe that might change in terms of if I had a larger iPad, right? right? If I bought the larger one. Yeah, if you have like I the, might say, the oh, iPad okay, Pro the 4.9. useful this yeah. and this, but since mine is still a small iPad, it's not, it's, I don't find it to add any benefit to me, at least again, to the type of stuff that I do yeah. um, on, on a personal basis. All right, so clearly the tweaks that I made on the equipment did not go well because you, you may probably hear that siren in the background. Normally we would not hear that siren. So I'm going to have to make some adjustments to this. So hopefully this podcast actually sounds okay because otherwise that's going to be 90 plus minutes of our lives that we will not be able to get back. Nor repeat. Or, or repeat unless we listen to it and memorize everything we talked about. So we thank you for listening to the podcast. Hopefully it sounds good. Uh, hopefully it'll be good enough to put up because we don't want to not have an episode for the month. But we thank you for listening. Again, you can find this podcast, the David and Ron Show podcast, on Apple Podcasts, on Google. What's wrong? No, I was trying not to hit hit the mic again. Like oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Last episode of you were listening to, to it, Ronald hit the mic right as I was doing this. So, once again, even though you didn't hit the mic, you disrupted me while I was doing my ending of the That's show. That's a cheap plug. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. So... Once again, thank you for listening to the David and Ronald Show podcast. You can listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and on Spotify. You can also find us on limbpodcast.com. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify, please give us a positive rating, a high rating. That helps to move the podcast up you know, so other people can find the podcast much more easily, and it helps with our overall ratings. So please do that. Share the podcast. Tell your friends. You can, through any of these platforms, share the link and let people know to check out our podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode. We have more episodes coming in 2020. So until next time, we'll see you then. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.